Welcome to the Economic Rockstar Podcast with your host, Frank Conway. Connecting brilliant minds in economics and finance. In this episode, I speak with Kim Holder, economics educator at the University of West Georgia. And we talk about the importance of financial literacy for students and what Kim is doing about this through the Center for Economic Education at the University of West Georgia and how Kim uses popular culture to explain concepts in economics. We also talk about the national contest Rockonomics that Kim is founder of. Kim reveals some personal things about herself from adoption and poverty to a successful economics educator and mentor. You can find all the links and show notes on economicrockstar.com forward slash Kim Holder. Economics is, you know, it's a a little bit business, a little bit social science, a little bit science. You know, it has something of everything in it, and that's kind of my personality. There are a lot of people out there who would benefit from education or who would benefit from an opportunity if they just had somebody who believed in them. You know, the loans that I took out when I was 17, when I first started college, The fact that, you know, I'll be 40 this year and I'm still paying on those is something that's really important to stress to students. I'm Frank Conway, host of the Economic Rockstar podcast. And in this episode, we are joined with Kim Holder, economics educator at the University of West Georgia. Kim is passionate about economics and she does her utmost to get students involved in the whole aspect of economics through music, media, pop culture and sports. And she loves using technology and social media in the classroom to get her students excited about learning. Kim is founder of Rockonomics, which holds a national contest each year within the United States. The Rockonomics national competition allows students from different universities across the country to compete with each other for the best overall music video that they've created. These students' submissions have pushed them to produce works that are truly amazing works of economic art. And I'm sure Kim's work in Rockonomics has resulted in an increase in the number of economic majors. Why not check out rockonomics.com to find out more on how you can vote for your best music video. Or even if you're a university or high school student or teacher, check it out if you want to get involved for next year. I'd love to know more about Rockonomics and maybe some of the practices that you apply in terms of your teaching and all the pop culture and that kind of thing. Okay, sure. Well, I teach at the University of West Georgia, which is in Carrollton, Georgia. It's a rural campus. We have a lot of first-generation college students, so that's kind of the audience that I reach. And I teach principles of microeconomics and principles of macro, both face-to-face and online. And I also teach Economics for Everyone, which is a survey course for non-business majors. I've taught health economics, intro to business here and there. But I like to use a lot of media in my classroom, particularly music, movies, and that sort of thing. And I also use a lot of social media to just kind of build up the community feel in the classroom, get students talking to each other. And and that's kind of where my research interests lie in those two areas. You're uh, teaching at the University of West Georgia. You have a good football team there. Uh, we do have a good football team. And how did I'm- the season go for you? Uh, it went pretty well. We went to the semifinals, so almost to the championship game. We play D2 football, and um, we have some people who are potential NFL recruits from our senior class this year. And I, I'm a huge sports fan, so I have season tickets. I attend as many football, baseball, basketball, all of all of those kinds of events that I can. 
And we lost to the team that ended up being the national division two champions for, for the U S. So I feel pretty proud of what they did. (laughs) And I bring a little sports into the classroom as well. So I try to use examples using sports because I feel that students are a little more comfortable with that. It kind of takes some of the fear of economics out of it when you can relate it to a sporting event that they're familiar with. And then I also let them do an extra credit assignment almost every semester where they go to a sporting event, find an economic concept around them and send out a picture and a tweet or put it on Facebook or something like that. So try to bring a little bit of that into the classroom. Two of my previous guests, I know you know, one of them, Jadrian Wooten and another, Robbie Butler, they spoke about how they bring in sports into the teaching of economics and teach economics through the lens of sports. That's their natural passion. I personally know Robbie. I actually lectured Robbie. And he has Uh taught his economics classes or some parts of it, such as game theory, looking Mm -hmm. at sports. And I can sense that from you, especially what you're saying there, but also following you on Twitter, too. And I say there's a a fine line in your passion and what you're (laughs) passionate for in terms of economics and sports. And it's, it's great to be able to merge those together. Mm-hmm. and allow economics to be taught through that lens and students appreciate it from that point of view. But you have another passion, and it's music. Ah, yes, I do. <laughs> I think music makes the world go round, and I just I love everything about music, and I love all types of music. I'm not personally very music-inclined. I, I played piano as a kid. Both of my children play drums, and so... We're just generally music lovers. And so when I became a teacher, part of what I wanted to do is, you know, there's the usual part of teaching that nobody likes. Like right now we're doing all our grading and everybody hates that part. Everybody hates dealing with, you know, some of the problematic things, right? When somebody doesn't have the the right things they need on test day or that sort of thing. And so my idea when I first started teaching was to try to make the class something that I would want to sit through. I have a fairly short attention span, and so I wanted to bring in music, and I wanted to bring in media and the social media because these are things that I just like and how I spend my free time. So my idea with music was to do a couple of different things. So first of all, I use it as examples in class, so sometimes to get class started or sometimes to break up the lecture, that sort of thing. And then every semester, my students do an assignment different from Rockonomics. So this is kind of the lead into Rockonomics. And they analyze either a popular movie, a popular television show, a song, or a video game, and they find economic concepts in them. So, for example, you know, this past year, of course, like Game of Thrones was something popular that students wanted to to look at and try to find just examples of our terms that are in our textbook, but apply them to the movie, the song, or so on. And then that kind of leads us in. It gets them comfortable with finding examples of economics in the real world. And then we take that into um, the Rockonomics assignment. Rockonomics, if you'd like to explain to our listeners what it means or how it was founded. Sure. So um, Rockonomics, I started in 2010. It is basically taking a regular popular song. I do encourage students to pick a popular song because it just has more appeal to most audiences. So they take a a popular song, they rewrite the lyrics and make it about economics, and then they shoot a new music video to go along with it. 
So this was done just locally at our university for a couple of years. And then we started competing with other people. So as I went and started presenting in at various conferences and other people got interested in it, and so they would email me and say, I want to show you what my students are doing. And so we decided to start, again, kind of bringing the sports aspect in to start a little competition. And so now we have our local contest at the university level, and then I manage and run the website part for the national competition. And this is a competition between universities all across the U.S. I'd love for it to go international. I'd love to have more people participate. But we we have some regulars who seem to participate each time. And then we're building up with other people. And then we choose, uh, by popular vote, a national winner each year. Each semester, rather. Uh, I think we're going to go to a yearly format just for ease. but, But we've been doing it every semester so far. And how is voting conducted? Can anybody vote if they go onto the website, rockonomics.com? Right. Anybody can vote. So once voting is open, like I said, the current semester will be up in about a day or two. And then anyone can vote. And we leave the voting open for about a week or two to give people enough time to vote. And we also, like my semester is over now, but we have other people whose semesters end at different times. And so, you know, people get their classes to vote. For myself, my class winner has won the national contest the last two semesters. So we are the reigning back-to-back national champions. I don't really think we'll have it this year. The competition looks really good. But I always, you know, send a lot of information out trying to motivate people in my social media community as well as on campus to vote. So I'll post stuff in our announcements on campus and try to build the sense of camaraderie just through our faculty and staff that still remain on campus after the semester is over. And that's Rockonomics with an X. That's Rockonomics with an X dot com. That's right. I'd love to, my own classes next semester or next year, be able to get them involved too to have that international flair. And I'm sure it'll only grow that way. Absolutely. We would love to have you. We have a sponsorship from Worth Macmillan Publishers, and they provide a monetary prize that we distribute out to first, second, and third place each um, year. And so we would love to have you join us. And I just think for my students, what the feedback I get from them is that they like the project because it allows them to express themselves in a different way. So when we're thinking about something that makes economics stick with a student for the long term, they're going to remember some of the basics, right? Supply and demand, some things about unemployment and inflation and that sort of thing. But then they're also going to remember something like this, a project like this. And so I have students who took my class five years ago and every year around this time they start getting in touch with me because they want to know, you know, who's up for Rockonomics this year. And it's just a a way that they continue to remember economics. You know, songs get stuck in your head and they remember it forever. So I also have students tell me that it's what made them open their textbook. It's what made them read their materials because they were trying to write their lyrics. So it's just another motivation to get them into the content. Exactly, because once you're unsure of some kind of concept, but you need to get it right because you're putting it out there in in the form Mm -hmm. of a song and in a competition. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to blend words and make sure that they rhyme. And you you need to get that understanding of, say, for example, if you were doing something on trade and comparative advantage, and you need to be able to understand what they are. And by putting it in a lyric form, 
And it allows the student to really grasp that understanding, even if it's only done in a short verse. But at play, right. yeah, it, it kind of stays with them and gets them interested, I suppose, in the topic itself. And there's lots of alternatives. So on our campus, our library has video cameras students can check out. A lot of students partner with somebody in mass communications to help them shoot their video. But I leave all that part of it up to students. So with today's technology, it's very easy to make a video. But, you know, some people really want to raise the bar. And so if you've looked at any of these videos, you'll see that there's a wide range, you know, as far as what's produced. But I also talk a lot with teachers who are maybe high school teachers or teachers who are at a smaller school where they don't have access to some of the technology that we have access to. And so there's other things that teachers can do. So they can have just a lyric writing contest where they don't shoot a video at all. They can do a live music contest where they have students, you know, maybe assign the same song to all students, but have them rewrite the lyrics and sing something live in a karaoke style. They can do other things like poems, poetry, limericks, those sorts of things, which are other extra credit activities that I give to my students that are are really meeting the same need. It's allowing the student to express themselves creatively that is not captured on a multiple choice or essay style test. And so it's just an alternative way of getting the same content. I do a lot of these kinds of assignments, creative and alternative assignments, but then at the same time, I'm also a very traditional teacher. So I lecture every day. I do practice problems and problem sets and that sort of thing. But I just feel that you don't have to choose between these teaching styles, I guess. I'm sure it's a high point for a lot of these students. If they know this is what they're going to do, a lot of them will look forward to it. And even on reflection, they'll remember this as one of the most memorable things they've done in your principles of micro and macro classes. Absolutely. I I have students all the time who um, the first semester was just kind of a, you know, let's try this and see if it works. I wasn't really sure how it would go. And I had, you know, some students who liked it, some students who did it, who didn't like it as much. But the second semester, I had students who came into my class knowing that this had occurred in the previous semester because, you know, college students, they all talk to each other and they came in asking, are we going to get to do this this year? And so that kind of inspired me to keep it going. Then I had a couple of instances where I would have a student who was very disengaged. They, you know, maybe they're taking the class because they have to, um, because it's a, you know, part of the core for business school. And when I would announce the assignment, you would just see kind of their face light up. And I had one student in particular, um, I think it was maybe the first or second year, who was a difficult student. You know, sometimes people, conduct-wise, you know, you can have in-classroom problems. And her behavior completely turned around the day that I announced the project. That day, immediately after class, she came up and talked to me. She had already written some lyrics during the lecture time, you know. And so for particular types of students, it makes or breaks the class for them. For most students, they enjoy it, and it gives them a great opportunity to express themselves. Kim, could you tell me what your defining moment was when you decided to study economics? Ah, well, I wish I had a better story for that. 
I decided to study economics because my husband was an economics major. We'll celebrate 20 years here in about 10 days, so it's worked out for me. But he studied economics, majored in economics, and graduated with his econ degree and his MBA. And we were dating at the time. I was a pre-med major, and I just wanted to take an econ class so that we would have something to talk about. So we had a long-distance relationship, and I just thought it would be neat to take the same classes that he was taking. So I was a freshman. I shouldn't have even been taking the courses I was taking. I got special um, permission to to get into the upper-level econ courses. And so I took them, you know, and kind of got hooked on the topic. I mean, it was it was great. I then I left school for a long time. I got married, had kids. And every time I would look back at going back to school, you know, I couldn't decide what my major should be. So I have a lot of sympathy for my students when they go through this process. When I finally decided that the fastest path to graduation would be just to stick with my same econ degree, um, but I still wasn't, it wasn't everything to me like it is now. Now it's it's my whole life. But <laughs> but at the time, it's still, I was still actually thinking about going to become a dentist. I actually minored in chemistry and biology so that I could pursue dental school. At the last minute, my husband's he works in investments. And so he said, we just can't move to where the closest dental school is. You know, you're going to have to try to do something else. And so I decided... I had liked econ all this time. I had enjoyed, you know, the opportunities that it offered me. I think econ is very distinct from the other business disciplines because it's more of a philosophy or a way to view the world than just a specific tool. Um, So some things like accounting is more specific, like this is a a toolbox to use um, to apply to a certain problem. But economics is, you know, it's a a little bit business, a little bit social science, a little bit science, you know, it has something of everything in it. And that's kind of my personality. And so I loved research and I thought, well, I'm just going to stick with econ and see where it goes. And as I got further and further into it, I just, you know, it's like falling in love. You know, you just find more and more things. And I think of it like a like an ocean, right? You can kind of play around in the edges and the shallow ends and do things that, you know, people are very familiar with. You can go as deep into it as you want. And it's just broad and expansive. And so my students give me a hard time because I turn everything into economics. Songs, music, movies, I ruin all of those for them. And then I have them do things like, you know, everyday econ, economics in the real world, those types of assignments, or econ selfie also, where I have them go out and take pictures of, you know, themselves at the grocery store and show me substitute goods and and complimentary goods, things like that. And so then they can't stop thinking about those throughout the rest of their life, I hope. Well, that's great fun. Yeah. Economics can bring love. It can. It uh, sure can. <laughs> yeah, and then you end up falling in love with economics. That's right. That's right. Kim, do you have any research or projects or anything that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to share with us? You mentioned earlier on that you teach a summer course called Economics for Everyone. This is an ongoing summer course that you do each year? Mm-hmm. So um, we actually teach it year-round. Um, our Economics for Everyone is a little bit of micro and macro, so kind of a um, soft introduction to the two of these. And then a personal finance is, makes up the other half of the course. And so this is really important for business and non-business majors to get a little bit of financial 
I guess literacy would probably be the best word, where they are comfortable making some of those decisions that they're going to have to make as an ordinary consumer, regardless of what career path that they choose. So a little bit of information about taxes, about basic investing, how to make a budget, those sorts of things are what we're going after. So in addition to teaching, um, I'm also taking over our Center for Economic Education at our university. And this is one of 12 centers across the state of Georgia. It's affiliated with the Georgia Council on Economic Education as well as the National Council. And that's one of our initiatives is to work on not only improving people's understanding of economics in the K-12 through sector and for teachers and for students, but also for the community as well. And that falls to our college students, too. And so we're working on improving their understanding of economics, their understanding of personal finance, just to make them kind of better citizens of the world, to make better decisions uh, in their everyday lives when they have to go and vote and those sorts of things. So just a more uh, educated public. So it's not necessarily restricted to college students. being right. a, It's a non-mandatory course for college so students. So the, the course Economics for Everyone is a college course, but through our center, we also offer workshops. So we offer workshops for K-12 through teachers to kind of brush up on various aspects of economics. And then we also offer workshops in financial literacy to the general public. So we have kind of a couple of different ways to reach people. I can see it as a, a well-published uh, book, actually, Economics for Everyone, with the title. I'm yeah. Sure, I'm sure there's a, a publication in it some, someday soon. I would love to. I have a couple of projects that I'm working on. Rockonomics has been submitted for publication, the website and all the materials. And then Econ Selfies, which is another project that I work on that we started about two years ago, is also in the process. So this semester, we evaluated our students to look at the effectiveness of the project. So that'll be submitted. I have a paper that's 50 songs for economics. This is with uh, Dirk Mateer and Brian O'Rourke. And we looked at a song for every year from 1964 to 2013. So we picked normally a hit song, but or a song that really had a lot of econ in it. And we kind of explained what we found in each one. And then the current paper that we're working on is in the same vein, but it's 50 movies for the past 50 years for economics. So those are kind of what I have on my desk right now that is the best thing. And I think that any of those or combined would really be helpful for kind of an economics for everyone book. Yeah. Um, now, I haven't had anybody offer to publish it yet. I see that this idea of kind of poppy con is what a lot of people are very hungry for. And when you say it's going to be uh, published in what form? So Rockonomics, we have submitted it for publication at a peer-reviewed journal. Um, we'll do the same thing for the 50 songs and 50 movies. The selfies was submitted a while back, but they wanted us to look at the effectiveness part. So we'll resubmit that probably in the next, I would say, six months or less. And you'll do some data analysis on it, is it? Yeah, yeah. And we um, we did a survey with um, our students. This is actually an interesting study because we're looking um, across colleges. So we have a couple of different universities that participated. And we were all able to go through our IRB process at our individual schools and get a survey together 
together that will be consistent. So we'll have different students, but the same survey and the same assignment. And so um, I think it, we should have some interesting results. Fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned there about uh, Pop Econ. I spoke with Andrew Heaton, host of Econ Pop podcast, and he's also on YouTube. Uh-huh. He, he looks at popular culture as well uh, in, right. in movies. I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of Econ Pop or Econ Movies. I, I'm not, but I'm going to have to look into that Absol- since it seems that some of our research interests align. Absolutely amazing stuff. Um, he's the host for it. I had a, episode six on the Economic Rockstar podcast too. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, his YouTube videos are absolutely amazing, and he picks out economic teams in movies like Ghostbusters and mm-hmm. Lego Movie. Oh yeah, the Dallas Buyers Club. So it's mm-hmm. it's fantastic insights. And again, I got my idea once I spoke to him. Immediately, I went out and I from one of my first assignments for my first year um, micro students was to do a, an assignment based on what you had just explained there. A right. song, a game, a movie, and mm-hmm. it, they were actually extremely interested, and it got them thinking. And I got I got some surprising assignments from us. They're obviously tuned into the economic t- teams or theories or concepts. Once they look at these types of movies, they're well aware of them. Once you're, they're pushed to do so. Absolutely. I think that students, when they just read the term in a textbook and the definition, or even when you stand and lecture them and give them other examples. That's one level of learning. But when they go and find it themselves and see it themselves and, you know, the, the light bulb goes off for them and they start seeing it over and over and over again. And so what I found for myself, too, is it helps keep my content fresh in my course because I can't go and see every movie. So when they bring movie and music examples into the classroom, it really opens up the conversations that we're able to have. And then it's something that in the next semester, some of those better examples find their way into the next set of lecture slides. And so you get this network where your former students are helping you teach the next generation of students. Kim, if there's an economist past or present that you'd love to collaborate with, who would it be? Or even in your case, if it was a musician or an actor or actress? That was a question that I was not prepared for. Let's th- let me think about that for a second. I have a favorite economist just from my graduate work. I did a paper on Kenneth Arrow and I just really enjoyed reading his work. I enjoyed the way his mind, I guess, worked when you can appreciate how somebody thinks about the world. So that was probably one of my favorites. Movies, my personal favorite, I tell my students this all the time, is my favorite actor is Mark Wahlberg. And I would, you know, if he wanted to make a movie about economics, I'm there, you know, (laughs) wherever. And do you have any favorite internet resource that you'd like to use? Um... I really like YouTube's probably my favorite internet resource, but I really like Critical Commons. It has a lot of economics, songs, and movies on there. It's criticalcommons.org, and it's um, just a storehouse for examples that sometimes they'll include, um, like, the teaching information in it, too. So for... For a new teacher, it's a great resource. The St. Louis Fed has just tons and tons of resources for econ teachers 
you, you know, K through college, videos and worksheets and, and all the all of that sort of thing. So um, those are probably some of my favorite resources. And what about a, a recommended book that you'd like to share? What I've been reading right now is Why Smart People Make Big Money Mistakes and How to Correct Them. I started reading it in preparation for this Economics for Everyone class and as well as the financial literacy workshop that I put on a couple of weeks ago. And um, it's by Gary Belsky, and it was fantastic. And in this is where it helps to be married to an economist. And so I was able to, you know, we're reading it out loud to each other because uh, a lot of his stuff is in the financial industry. And so realizing that people have some behavioral economics problems that they bring into finances with them is a lot of fun to talk about in the classroom. You use Twitter quite effectively and you encourage it amongst your students. I do. How does that work for you? I started using Twitter with my students just because that's the space that they're already comfortable in. And we, um, at our university, we have a course management system that we use. Uh, it's actually statewide where they're required to go in to access their class materials. But the problem I found, and we also use official university communications, email, and that sort of thing. And the problem I found with my students is that I could send out all of my information in that way, but they didn't check it that often. So if you're trying to remind them that a quiz is due and you remind them within the course management system, they don't necessarily know that unless they go and check it. And so for all of my classes, I set up a class, a, a private closed Facebook group that they can be a part of. And um, it's an option for them to, you know, talk and meet with other people in the class. And this is for face-to-face classes or online classes. I set up a Twitter hashtag specifically for their class so that they can use it to communicate with each other. And then I also use a, te- a one-way text messaging system to send them out reminders about class. And so I use these three methods to try to keep them engaged and to try to just remind them of important dates and to give them, I guess, a bigger view uh, of econ. And so when I go to conferences and that sort of thing, it's very helpful because they see that there's more to economics than what they get in their classroom. And I hope that they, you know, read some of it here and there. You're a regular attender to some conferences in which you present some of your work and your findings and most recently you talked about your 50 movies Mm -hmm. Uh, how did that go um it went really well this was a great conference in a beautiful location unfortunately i was sick during this time but i still went this was the uh, association of private enterprise education we kind of took a survey in the conference to try to get some feedback on what people thought should make our final list because we found that last year at the same conference we presented our 50 songs and we presented our completed list and like all good economists people had stuff to say about it and they wanted to add or take away from the list like you know for for 1965 you should have chosen this song instead that sort of thing and so this time around we wanted to get a little more feedback a little earlier on and so we got feedback in the conference itself as well as from external resources again using social media and then we presented kind of our top three so my top three that make my list were Moneyball which is a fantastic book 
making a fantastic movie. And it also brings in sports into economics. And an older Justin Timberlake movie called In Time, which was not very popular in the movie theaters, but is kind of a great sleeper hit. And it's all about how they have this society where instead of using money, they use time as a form of currency. And so every person who's born gets a limited number of days, hours, and seconds at time of birth. And there are rich people and poor people. And as you work, you accumulate more time. And as you buy things, you have to spend that time. And they have completely flexible prices, prices that show on a um, like a digital board. And so you can see ideas like inflation and that sort of thing. So it's a great interesting movie. And then my third one was Hunger Games, which was also a great book and a great series of of movies. And just looking at kind of dystopian society and how people interact and how our economic choices influence our political choices. And um, there's there's just a lot of interesting dynamics in that film. And nothing better to get people very interested in this thing when you compile a top 50 there's always people that will be saying no this should be in the top 10 and they're number one um, and it just really gets people interested and they have their own perceptions of what is actually the best itself so i can see this having a lot of mileage in terms of reaching a mass audience and not only economists and that's only good for economics that's right <laughs> absolutely i i think um it was actually a lot of fun to compile the song list. We're not done with a movie list yet. So with a song list, a lot of what was fun was, particularly when you work in collaborations with other people, we're all different ages. So we all come from, you know, different eras of what music that we like. And then we also have different musical tastes. And so it was funny kind of going back and forth of, you know, it really should be this song because this has econ in it. And then the other person talks about their song which also has a lot of econ in it. And we try to mix up and get uh, uh, as many genres of music as we could cover, different artists, and we wanted to hit some of the big ones, you know, because you can't have a 50 songs list like without the Beatles on it, for example. And um, we try to cover as many economic concepts as we could. So we wanted content from micro as well as macro to not leave anybody out. So... Do you have any particularly favorite theory in macro or microeconomics? I think that probably the most interesting part of econ to me is just, and this is kind of, it's a little bit broad. It may not be what you're looking for, but explaining to students that there are no hard and fast rules, that when we talk about economics, that we are talking about theories and that we are making certain assumptions. And when you make assumptions about the way people behave or the way markets work, that you can then draw conclusions, but you always need to remember that you made these first assumptions um, at the very start. And so if the assumptions are wrong, then the whole thing falls apart. And so I think that for me, because I do have a little bit of a background in the sciences, that that's something that's striking to me that sometimes as economists we get so comfortable with the things that we're saying um, that we don't emphasize that enough to our students. And so it can be very eye-opening for students to realize that, okay, these are the things I need you to memorize for the test and understand because this is economic theory as it is right now. But in five or ten years, these things will change. 
and that there's room for people to go out and research those areas that they find really interesting um, and question things. Um, so students in the K through 12, um, so I teach a lot of freshmen and sophomore students and students who come out of that K through 12 space, a lot of K through 12 education is about fitting a student into a box, right? Here's the information, you know, learn it and get it back to us. And what's different at the collegiate level or what we try to do a lot of is teach students the critical thinking part where they are challenging the information that they're getting. And that can be tough for college professors because we want them to just take us at our word. It can be easier, but it's more engaging for the students to have very real conversations of, this is what my parents tell me. This is what the textbook tells me. This is what I've been taught all my life. But this is what we see actually happen. Um, and and why do people do things like altruism, right, that it seems like it's really for the benefit of other people, which doesn't really fit with this idea of someone only acting in their self-interest. Those kinds of things is, is what I like my students to go after. And it's something that seems to be quite different to – the likes of chemistry, as you mentioned, you had done at, a, at mm-hmm. your degree, because if you're doing some tests in chemistry, really the assumptions may not exist because you have a couple of variables that do interact with one another and you get a, an output. So it follows typically, say, a normal distribution curve mm-hmm. or you might have you put in an input and you get the desired output. But in That's economics, you have numerous variables. And because it's a social science Mm-hmm. The expectation that you're going to have a, a desired outcome may not always come true because with human behavior or even the, the variables, the, the likes of the in monetary indicators, they may not have the desired outcome. So that must be something that's quite difficult and hence the assumptions in economics to try and simplify things. That's right. There's just so many moving parts that you have to make the simplifying assumptions, but then reminding the students that you did make those because what happens is people people forget that we made those so you know always in chapter one of any textbook it talks about the assumptions that we make and then you go on and teach the rest of the course with those intact but you know from time to time I try to explain the alternative viewpoint. So even in something as straightforward as, you know, GDP, that this is how we're going to measure the success of a country. And so, you know, I give the lecture of, you know, this is what the measurement means and this is how we compare and this is how we use it to do to calculate, you know, all of these different aspects of the economy. But then I also have them read an article about, you know, why GDP might not be the best indicator and and what alternatives exist because I want them to question and think about it because you just never know who's sitting in your classroom. It could be the person who comes up with the next great economic indicator, right? Because ours are not sufficient maybe to, to measure an economy's worth. And so I want to push them to, to think outside the box in that way. Kim, if you were advisor to Barack Obama or the incoming president or head of treasury or a part of the Fed, what one thing would you suggest that would improve some aspect of the economy? Wow. I think for me, because um, I grew up relatively poor, 
that my biggest advice would be that people have a lot more potential than we give them credit for. So sometimes there are people, and, and myself included, I told you early on that I took a long break from school. Sometimes there are people who have a lot of potential, and there's just something small that's holding them back. So it might be money. It might be, for me, um, you know, there are not a lot of schools close by um, where I could have gone on to finish my degree. It could be personal circumstances. But I think that there are a lot of people out there who would benefit from education or who would benefit from an opportunity if they just had somebody who believed in them. And so I think of the United States is, you know, a great land of opportunity. I'm actually adopted, and so I have a lot of appreciation for being able to live in this country. And I just think that there are people who, through circumstances that maybe they are in control of or for decisions that were made for them, they just don't get the opportunity that they have. And, and to me, I just feel like there's so much potential out there to solve a lot of the world's problems, but maybe that person, you know, can't go to school or can't get the job that would help them change the world. So that's um, that would probably be my biggest piece of advice is what can we do as a nation to provide more opportunities. It doesn't mean that everybody has to have the opportunity, but just access, breaking down barriers, that sort of thing, um, I think would be helpful. I almost could tell from your voice there was a transition from heartbreak to empowerment, it's kind of, as you spoke there. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a personal story. You know, it's yeah. a very personal part of, of my life. Well, thank you so much for sharing it with us. And uh, your story being so unique, mm -hmm. I hope some people can relate to that. Well, hopefully not, but I, if they're ever in a situation that they feel that there's no way out of it, a story like yours could empower them into thinking that there is a way, as long as there's somebody out there to give, be a mentor or guide them through it. I, I'm not sure how you got out personally out of poverty, whether it was education or was that something that came later on? I think education is just such a huge part. It, it allows you opportunities that you can't pursue otherwise. And so it's very limiting if you don't finish high school, if you don't finish college. It's just really hard to make ends meet. And so um, I try to stress that to my students, and I act as an informal mentor to many of them, even past our time in the classroom together, just because... Again, in our particular university, we have so many first-generation students whose parents didn't go to college, and so sometimes they need someone who understands, you know, the process and how it is or, or somebody to just, you know, keep pushing them forward, like don't drop out of school, take another class, you know, and, and tell them even about resources that are available that they don't always know are available. And it's increasingly difficult in the United States with the cost of education and how easy it might be to access credit and put these people into debt. So it's important that's to right. maybe look out for scholarships. It is, and that's, too, where the financial literacy comes in, to understand when you take on those loans what you're getting into. And so I took on a lot of loans to finish my education, and I still pay on a lot of those loans. And to try to explain that to them, that, you know, the loans that I took out when I was 17, when I first started college, 
the fact that, you know, I'll be 40 this year and I'm still paying on those is something that's really important to stress to students, you know, that little decisions have big consequences. And so, you know, may, maybe, I mean, at the time when I was in college, I was working three jobs at the same time as I was going to school. And so I don't know that I could have done anything else differently. You know, I see a lot of students who live large on their loan money, and then it puts you in the position where you have to accept a certain type of job and so on. And so I try to explain some of those things to them. But, you know, some students just need, they just need you to be there for them to listen. And again, I go back to the social media that I find that it connects me with students in in a very real way and in an ongoing way that I don't know how else you would get it. So my students have, our graduation is tomorrow. And of the names I recognize on the list, I have about 30 students graduating. I know there are more because I teach the large classes at the university, but just seeing them walk across the stage tomorrow is, you know, it gives me, it gives me chills and fills my heart up every time I see it because I feel like they're one of my own children when they go across the stage because I know how hard it is to get from point A to point B. Wow, you are passionate. Yeah, I am. It's hard because you want them to bear some costs, right? So we find that, you know, students who are on a full scholarship or students who parent, whose parents pay all of their college, you know, they're not always motivated to be the best students, right? Because there's no cost associated other than their time to go to college and do the work. So it is helpful for students to bear some cost of going to school. The difference is, is can we identify students who would be successful where maybe cost is a barrier for them and help them find the resources? Because there are resources out there, but it's just hard to find them and it takes time. Before we leave, Kim, I'd love, based on that part of the conversation we've just had, I would love an affirmation, a mantra, a quote or a philosophy that you strongly live by. I think that for me, it would probably be something along the lines of enjoying the journey. I think that people feel like if they don't reach what they're shooting for, that they have failed in some way. And what I have tried to learn myself is that it's really about the path that you take to get there. And when people tell you you can't do something, to do it anyway and to do the things that make you happy. That would probably be, if I was trying to give advice, that would be my advice. Amazing. Kim, thank you so much for being so honest, sincere and inspiring and for joining me on Economic Rockstar. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a blast and I personally learned a lot from you, Kim. Share with our listeners where they could find you. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CubeGirl, C-U-B-E-G-R-L. You can also go to Rockonomics.com to get in touch with the Rockonomics National Contest. You can send in your entry there, get information about when entries are due each year. It's probably the best way. Twitter and the Rockonomics website are probably the best ways to get in touch with me. I think you're all over it. You're on Instagram, Pinterest. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Pinterest. If you're looking for teaching materials, if you want inspiration for your own classes, same at CubeGirl for Pinterest. I post a lot of my student projects there and ideas, our poetry, Valentine's poems, limericks, memes, selfies, all those sorts of things are also on there. Yeah, I'm kind of all over. If you just put my name in, you'll find me. 
You can find all the links to Kim on economicrockstar.com forward slash Kim Holder. Kim, you are an economic rock star. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Thank you.